Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Barry Cummins, a journalist with RTE whose work focuses on crime. He's reported on gangland murders, slave labour, missing women, unidentified bodies, IRA killings and criminals on the run, as well as offering in-depth analysis on criminal stories in our courtrooms. He's also written a range of real-life crime books on some of these topics. And Barry, I suppose, firstly, just to go back a little bit, how did you actually get into reporting about crime initially? Uh, my first job, Breda, was with local radio in Tullamore. I'm from Dublin, but I moved down to Offaly to get my first break in radio, radio reporting. And uh, I found it quite easy to get to the courtroom there and to meet Gardy locally. And I found out a big interest in in uh, local crimes, minor crimes, uh, daily crimes. But very quickly, I discovered that there was a, uh, a particular crime that was a major crime which remains unsolved to this day and that's the disappearance of Fiona Pender uh, from Tullamore. She disappeared in August of 1996. I arrived down in Tullamore late September into October of that year and uh, from then on uh, I began reporting on Fiona's case and through that uh, I figured out uh, uh, about the, the bigger picture of crime reporting. So I I fell into it in one way, but I had a big interest in it as well. And then I found I could, I, I had a knack for crime reporting. So it was actually the fact that you were there on the ground with one of those missing women cases that really kicked off the interest. Yeah, it was. Uh, and uh, I got to know the Pender family. I knew the Gardaí who were investigating the case. Fast forward a, a few months into 1997. I can remember clearly April 1997 uh, when five people were arrested in connection with Fiona's disappearance. And I always remember the expectation that day, walking around Tullamore, all people could talk about was the fact that five people were being questioned in the local Garda station and the hope that there might be a breakthrough, the expectation perhaps that there was. And there was this talk about the Garda, the the detectives from Dublin were down and they would have been the uh, National Bureau of Criminal Investigations. And I suppose the seriousness of that, that uh, it seemed that there might be a breakthrough. There wasn't. And, and But I always remember that day that uh, right up to the point when those five people were released without charge, uh, wondering was there going to be some dramatic breakthrough at that time. Sadly, there wasn't. And to this day, there hasn't been. And you moved on from there then to Today FM, where you were a crime correspondent. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was, uh, again, it wasn't just a, 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 a quick transition. I did other, uh, I did some news reading. I was in 98FM for a while, uh, part time doing news reading. Then in Today FM, I was doing sports reporting as well. I have a big interest in sport and politics and other other areas, but I've always gone back to crime. And in Today FM, I saw there was an opening uh, and it was that was where my big interest was. So uh, slowly I I carved out a niche in Today FM, uh, created that that position and and filled it for uh, for a few years. And uh, while there, I reported on uh, the conviction of Catherine Nevin. Uh, for the murder of her husband, Tom. Uh, And uh, that particular case, she wasn't the woman who actually shot her husband dead. She had organised, conspired for somebody else to do it. A person still never brought to justice. Uh, But even in that court case, a fascination with... with, 
while the crime might be solved, all the answers weren't there. We still don't know who else was involved in that particular murder. Uh, but I remember reporting on that. Uh, and even back then, that was April 2000. Uh, we had mobile phones, uh, basic mobile phones, but I always remember coming out of court, running out of court like every other reporter. Nobody could get a signal. Perhaps we were all looking for signals at the same time. And I ran to the payphone, uh, which was in the lobby of the, the Four Courts building. Got to that phone ahead of anybody else, right. thankfully. Ran fast. And ran fast, <laughs> got through, uh, got uh, Today FM to ring me back. Uh, and it was uh, Eamon Dunphy was presenting the last word and uh, came came back to me to break the news of that particular conviction of Catherine Nevin. Uh, so I have very clear memories of, of the machinations of, of getting something out, getting breaking a story, breaking the news. And sometimes it's as simple as being being the quickest to a payphone. And how it has changed now, whereas with social media, um, everybody has a phone, the news is out there instantaneously. Yeah, and it's out there from within courtrooms as well sometimes that people are texting, uh, tweeting, doing whatever. Uh, and there is, a, uh, I suppose, a clampdown in some ways on, on the, the level of uh, use of mobile phones in courts. Uh, but still, there is that uh, desire to be first uh, with with news. But you should temper that with being accurate. <laughs> that's the absolutely, and that's it, the important thing. It can it can be uh, within the same breath as something being said in court. There could be reporting restrictions uh, are are put there, and all of a sudden, somebody's about to hit send on on some piece of information, and they have to stop. So, it, 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 while technology has advanced greatly and hugely. Uh, I would have concerns about about whether it's gone a little too far or allows us to to uh, go too far sometimes. And more recently then you've been in RTE and again covering the topic of crime. Yeah, and again when I got into RTE I was doing other reporting and still do sometimes when, whenever needed um, but I started uh, reporting on politics. Uh, I was in the Oireachtas unit in RTE starting off but what I did was I brought some ideas uh, of my own about certain uh, crime stories, pitched them to the news desk and uh, thankfully they they uh, let me go and, and try it out and, and it, it, it worked. And to that, from then to now, I started in 2003 in RTE and up to present day, I've uh, again carved out a niche, I think, of, of a particular type of, of crime reporting. Um, which is largely victim-centred about the uh, the effects of crime or the desire to get justice. Uh, and it can be cold cases uh, a lot of the time uh, where there might be huge publicity given to a particular crime way back when, but then it's never solved. Mm-hmm. And within RTE, I think one of the great aspects of RTE is the archive that's there, television archive, radio archive, uh, and to delve back into some of that and... Uh, if it if it's a case that hasn't been solved, uh, to be able to uh, bring that footage back, show it again, and it can have an effect. It can have a great effect. Uh, so that's that's where a, a big interest of mine is. And when did you decide then that you wanted to actually write about it? Oh, it goes back to before I ever joined RTE. I was in really? Today FM, and in reporting on some of the murder trials going on at the Central Criminal Court. Um, I remember I pitched an idea to uh, Fergal Tobin in Gillam Macmillan, as it was at the time. Um, and the idea was a simple book about uh, a very uh, complicated murder investigation. But basically, there had been a huge breakthrough in 1999 where a man was arrested uh, for a murder which had happened 20 years before the murder of Phyllis Murphy 
in County Kildare and Phyllis had been abducted and murdered and her body found a month later in the Wicklow Gap and uh, the case was solved through DNA, advances in DNA and I'm fascinated by forensic science as well. So I knew this trial was coming up. A man was charged, John Creerer, uh, a father of five who was later convicted of Phyllis's murder um, but my pitch to Fergal was I want to write a book about this case and uh we had a chat, we had a meeting and it turned into something different whereby, and he was right, but he said to me, let's hold off on that. We don't know what way that verdict is going to go. We don't know whether there'll be a retrial or what's going to happen with that case. You're basing everything on one particular case, which hasn't good, happened. And a good point, because as you say, you don't know what the outcome could be. A lot of work could go in yeah. and the book doesn't hit the shelves. Yeah. And uh, so he said to me, hold on, what about all the other missing women? So I was on the right track with Phyllis's case and the fact that she uh, had not got justice at that time. But it was actually Fergal who said to me, uh, well, what about the other missing missing women? And uh, I immediately, well, I knew about some of the cases in detail. I knew about Fiona Pender's case going back to uh, to 1996 and some of the other cases. And uh, it was the fact that nobody had ever written about those cases, about Operation Trace, uh, which was the Garda a cold case review of of six cases of women who had disappeared in Leinster in the 1990s. So I was kind of half getting in that direction Mm -hmm. with pitching an idea about the Phyllis Murphy investigation. But it was actually Fergal who put me on the right track and said, hold on, what about all the other cases? So it turned into, my first book turned into a a book about uh, with individual chapters on each case of a woman who was missing uh, in Leinster in the 1990s and who it's believed had been murdered either by a serial killer or by somebody known to them. But that it was like a mini stories within one book. And how did you decide on that structure? I mean, you must have sat down at some point and gone, how are we going to do this? Well, I I remember I went back to Fergal saying, "Okay, well, let's do this book about missing women. But also I said, hold on, there are two long term missing children. And I couldn't ignore that mm-hmm. I didn't want to ignore that nor did he but it was me going to him saying well as well as it's not just a book about Operation Trace or women missing in Leinster we need to write about uh, Mary Boyle who's missing in Donegal since 1977 uh, only six years old when she vanished and Philip Kearns uh, who is missing since 1986 last seen uh, heading back to school in Rathfarnham in October 1986 and he was only in first year in school uh, so there are only those two long-term missing children in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, so it became a book about the missing women and the missing children. And then, of course, I was conscious I was not ignoring, but but minimising, in a sense, the, the huge number of cases of missing men. So a final chapter became a wrap-up chapter about all the other cases, including, you mentioned gangland crime earlier, there's cases of, of men who've been murdered and their bodies hidden. Uh, so I was full of ideas, I was coming up with different ideas for what became maybe other books down the line as well. Uh, So um, in writing Missing, I didn't imagine I'd be writing other books. I could only think about the first one. But looking back, uh, I was uh, coming up with other ideas that then became chapters in some of the other books that I later wrote. And how long did it take to write the first one? First one was quick. It's the quickest of all the five or now six if you when I talk about updating Missing. it took me uh, three months of writing and that six, seems quite quick, really quick and six to seven months of research 
and the writing took place during the research as well. So I wrote it uh, between uh, September into early December of 2002 and then polished it off or whatever. I remember I submitted the book uh, on uh, the 31st of December 2002. And that was Written over the Christmas holidays. Yeah, well, it, well, it kind of finished <laughs> off. And that was, uh, the contract was to be uh, submitted by 31st of December. And again, I had that deadline in my mind. I didn't want to miss that deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, uh, and I only realised afterwards because I was so tunnel visioned on getting it done, but that sure I submitted it that day and uh, that night and Fergal wouldn't have opened his email until a few days into January of 2003 but at least it was off my plate it was submitted it was done uh, but I always remember it it it, it was so quick um, to write I, I was I had just had it all in my head and uh, it, it it just came out that I and I took it chapter by chapter um, from the start right through I didn't try and dip into any other chapters I started with the first chapter introduction into chapter one and right through so you did it chronologically in that way really okay because a lot of people would say they'll do a bit here and a bit there and stitch it all together afterwards but is that the journalistic logic in you maybe well I was getting information about some other cases like I was doing the research but I was only writing about one chapter at a time so I might get some information on say Fiona Sennett who's missing in Wexford since 1998 uh, but that wasn't the chapter I was writing or you know so I would take the information and park it be ready for when I was writing about Fiona and nearly let it percolate yeah and and that's the that's the thing that that uh, and I would wake up with an idea of the the first line of the first chapter or the first line of the next chapter or the last line or something like that so that it would um it, it, it would come back to me but when I had written a chapter I would move on to the next I wasn't going back and and uh trying to tweak or change um, there was time enough for that when it came back, uh, when the book was then sent back for, for proof reading, um, that if I wanted to change anything, uh, rearrange, and it could be just a word or something, but uh, or it could be something bigger. But there was time enough in early two thousand and three then. And was it a two book deal then with Gail, or how did that work? No, it was uh, it was a one off at the, the time. One. But again, with the option. Uh, to write another or the, the invitation to write another or, or whatever. And that happened pretty quickly then. It did, yeah. It was uh, literally a year later, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Lifers was the next one. And I think it was out of uh, my original idea about the, the case of Phyllis Murphy um, that uh, what had happened in that time was that uh, Phyllis, uh, Phyllis's killer, John Creer, had been convicted, jailed for life and quite a lot of evidence had come out during a trial. So I had all of that new information from the case and I had a, I had some background information on the investigation. So, but again, I thought that might have been a full book in itself, but it didn't turn out like that. It turned, it turned out to be a very big chapter in a different book about murderers who had been caught, convicted, jailed uh, and were serving life sentences. So the book became Lifers. Uh, and it was outlining some of the cases of murderers in Ireland, how they had been caught, the impact their crimes had had on the families of the victims and um, putting out there some information in each of the cases that had never been put out before. Some of them were historic enough cases, murders from the 1980s. Others were more recent. Um, but I was delighted that through lifers, I was able to get the Phyllis Murphy case out there, which was my original idea. And uh, back into the public domain, back in and uh, to outline uh, a 
the information about Phyllis that I had learned and, and I met with her family many times and uh, how uh, even going back to the missing book, the fact that her killer was at large for 20 years in the 1980s and the 1990s before he was brought to justice. Uh, but during that time, other people had disappeared as well. Uh, and while there was justice for Phyllis, still to this day, no justice for for, for for the other women yeah. uh, who are still missing. And obviously with missing, it's unsolved cases. With lifers, it was about solved cases. So yeah. uh, they're two quite different things. I'm just wondering, was there more satisfaction with the solved cases? Because you have a beginning, a middle and an end. You knew what, you found out what happened. Yeah. More um, importantly, the families found out what yeah, happened. Yeah, I, I still, in most of the work I do, I still go back to unsolved cases. Uh, the Lifers book allowed for a discussion on on different types of, of Garda investigations and some of the cases, uh, some of the types of, of crimes that have happened, horrible crimes that have happened. Um, but even in the Lifers book I wrote, I know about uh, the murder of a, a man, Pod Skeen, uh, who was murdered in his home in, in the west of Ireland. And one of the killers was caught, uh, William Campion. And uh, he was uh, he, he was convicted. But we know from the guard investigation that there were other people in the home who were part of the gang that attacked Pod Skeen. So even in writing about a murder that was solved, I was going back to the fact that other people were involved. So would you call, is it the glass half full, half empty? I don't know. But and you don't whenever, have all the answers. Whenever I could make a point that uh, even within a, mur- a murder being solved, it other people had not been brought to justice. That uh, I, I even see that now looking back over mm. some of the writing I did. And then the third book I wrote went back to the original theme, in a sense, unsolved. Um, and even then that, that was written or published in 2007. And that allowed me to write about various murders that were unsolved, including some missing persons cases, uh, which were never solved. And part of that allowed me to look at some of the cases of men who were missing, mm-hmm. missing, believe, murdered. Uh, so I was getting getting it out there. It was it, each of the books has allowed me to uh, get out information that I've learned and maybe couldn't put into uh, the first book or the second book or maybe couldn't put into a broadcast format in, in my day job or whatever. Um, so each each one has uh, I've. I've picked up information along the way that maybe gives me an idea for the next the next book coming. And you had two further ones after that, Without Trace and then the Cold Case Files. And is it a case, as you said earlier, that you want to keep these cases in the public consciousness? Because a lot of these cases happened in the 1990s yeah. um, and maybe people did not come forward with information they had then. A lot of time has passed. It could be on their conscience. Yeah. Somebody may say something. Yeah, and it's proven as time goes on, uh, say the book Cold Cases, uh, two of the chapters in, in that particular book, uh, they were unsolved cases at the time. They are now solved. Uh, one was the murder of Nancy Smith, uh, who was killed in 1987 in Kilkenny. Uh, she was strangled to death and her killer tried to make, uh, tried to set fire to the house to make it look like she had died naturally in a fire. Uh, but that killer was caught uh, just a few years ago and convicted after a cold case uh, reinvestigation. And then a young boy, Stephen Hughes Connors, uh, who uh, died in a fire uh, that was set in Tala uh, some years ago. Uh, but that fire was maliciously, deliberately set and that killer was caught uh, only in recent years as well, following a cold case investigation. So when I wrote about those two cases in the book called The Cold Case Files, 
they were unsolved. Now uh, they are solved. It's brilliant. And I know the book would have been part of the narrative or the discussion would have helped with publicity, would have helped uh, even help Gardaí to get the resources to go back and reinvestigate where they say uh, to their superiors, we need to we need time. We need six months to go flat out at this re- this investigation. We can use the publicity that's out there now for our benefit to push for appeals, to put pressure on people. Because what I've learned in, in most of the vast majority of unsolved cases, Gardaí have 90 percent of the, the picture mm-hmm. uh, and they kind of know where the answers may be so that they it's not like a complete mystery. And if they know when and where to put the pressure, when and where to catch somebody unawares to knock on their door unannounced or to catch them at some other location and look into their eyes uh, and ask them very pertinent questions, sometimes it, it works. And human nature is fascinating in that sense that people have information and sometimes in the right context, they will unburden themselves. And how much did you rely then on the Gardaí as a source of information? Oh, greatly for each of the books. Uh, individual Gardaí, I've relied on um, in in each of the cases I've written about. Uh, that's where the information is. Sometimes it's official assistance and sometimes it's unofficial assistance. And that's the nature of any type of crime reporting. Uh, always conscious that that's one source or one area for your information and you need to go elsewhere uh, to stand things up as well. But absolutely, I, 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 I can say that I, I've met many Gardaí uh, in my research and uh, they ha- some of them have different perspectives on investigations mm. and I would have found that that one person might say I think uh, X did it or Y uh, and somebody else would have a different idea and by and large they would still be open minded in the sense that they might say well I think Barry Cummins did it and but I'm, I'm I could be wrong but and is that it not, could be wrong thing that I find interesting that they will say privately, I could be wrong. Have a, and they could all have a different view. But is it not a negative reflection then on the work of the Gardaí if these cases are all still unsolved? Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, but it's negative on everybody, I think, on society that uh, we have a huge number of unsolved murders. And I can... How do we compare it to other countries in that sense? Uh, well, we, we're average in that sense. Uh, in that, uh, if, and to try and compare to any other country is very difficult because we have one police force. If we look at Britain, they have different constabularies in different locations um, throughout, throughout Britain. Um, and uh, any other country, it's very difficult to compare uh, to any other country. But we have, well, we might say we have a low enough murder rate compared to other countries uh, we have a large number of unsolved murders and uh, my the tagline for one of the books was for every murder that's solved there's another one that's unsolved and uh, that's that that's the height of it that uh, and we have a legacy it's, it's very difficult to compare us to another country because we have the legacy of the troubles we have unsolved murders of Gardaí uh, murders of uh, of a, a soldier, prison officer, uh, committed by the IRA, uh, and we have then we have our gangland crime, uh, where in the nineteen nineties, uh, we have uh, from the mid nineties right up to present day, hundreds upon hundreds of people have been murdered through gangland crime. Many innocent people, as well in that number, and most of those cases never solved. And then we have the 
do you call it the ordinary murders or the non-crime related murders uh, where th- there is a, a sizable number of those murders also unsolved and that's despite the best efforts of Gardy, of journalists, of everybody. Uh, it's not to say there hasn't been an effort. There's been a huge effort made to try and solve cases, but it's just not good enough. We, we as a society have failed to solve, catch, convict a large number of murders. And even going back to missing women, the fact that none of those cases was solved in the ni- 1990s is horrific I think uh, that that's 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 modern Ireland that's that's not too long ago no it's not uh, and are we just going to rest easy and say well hey he or they got away with it let's move on I don't think so the families can't move on Was that part of your motivation then to revise Missing yeah. and put it back on the shelves again this year and update it Yeah and it was it stood the test of time uh, for a long time because a lot of the book is information about the last movement of each of the women and the the two children who disappeared. So information that cannot change. But what has changed is uh, the information about the Garda investigations and reinvestigations and a number of suspects who have emerged down the years. So 15 years is a long time uh, in terms of the new lines of inquiry. And are there many new lines of inquiry? Though? There are new suspects, definitely, and right. people we didn't know about or couldn't talk about back in 2002 into 2003, we can now talk about. Uh, and other people have emerged as well. For example, Graham Dwyer, who murdered Elaine O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody had heard of that man uh, in, in a public sense uh, until very recently. And uh, there's a number of men who are, ne- are now convicted of murder who were family men, they had children, they were in stable relationships, married or otherwise, uh, and they are now convicted of the most horrific murders, which have involved planning, uh, hiding of a body, uh, and then sticking to a a lie, sticking to a story that they have nothing to to atone for in any way. Uh, And we have a number of those men in prison now, uh, and even in talking about some of those cases, we might be touching upon uh, something that links to another unsolved case. I don't know. But certainly uh, back in 2002, there were many names, not just Dwyer, but other other men as well that uh, we, we, we either didn't know about or we didn't know the extent of their crimes. And how hard was it then to update the text? Well, it was the hardest um, because uh, it's... I suppose if you look at it, if I was doing a TV report about uh, then and now, I would say, well, that was then and this is now. And, mm-hmm. you know, you'd show a few images of back then and then say, well, and then cut to present day. Whereas with a book, you have to reimagine it entirely. And it's you can't just put a, you can't just put the first bit of the chapter as back then. This is the way it was. And now this is the way it is. That's that's not in any way So did you have to rewrite entire chapters then? Really? Right. Uh, So was uh, it nearly like writing another book? It was, well it was, it it was writing another book and it was harder because I had to keep elements of the first book uh, while also deconstructing it and putting it back together again and and uh, and, uh, Pulling your hair out at the same time. (laughs) Making sure. So that book, it took me six to seven months to write. I've been researching it for years in the sense that I've been keeping on top of these 
cases and learning more and more about the cases as I go. So the research, there wasn't much in terms of new research. It was in my head and I was trying to get it onto paper. And that took um, six to seven months to do. And it was it was the hardest in terms of all the writing I've done. That was the hardest because it would be actually easier to have a blank page to uh, to come at something. But it's in the, in 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 the missing and the updated missing. It was totally different. Would you do it again? I would. Uh, and I'd love to be writing about any case that has been solved and how it was solved. And uh, while most of my focus is on uh, the glass half empty, uh, if ever there's a way of saying the glass is half full, I will. And I'd love to write in the, in that sense. So uh, I, I'd say never say never. And, and if I, I'd love to be able to uh, write something about the background, the behind the scenes as to how Gardy cracked a particular case uh, and they have cracked other cases but the missing cases the specific ones I've looked at sadly this, there's still no breakthrough It's non-fiction obviously uh, in terms of what you're writing would you have any plans at all for fiction? No Really? Uh, and I, I enjoy reading fiction but I wouldn't write it uh, and it's I and it's the I suppose the work I do and I often say it to people I work with that you couldn't make it up and that sometimes life is stranger than fiction and some of the uh, the incredible things that have happened in terms of crime reporting uh, and various crimes um, so I I wouldn't because I'd be using information that I have and I just having sat down with families uh, so often and I looked into their eyes and listened to them about their loved ones. Um, and so I can kind of compartmentalise in a sense that I, I enjoy fiction. I enjoy uh, uh, crime fiction. But for, in terms of the writing, it, it's just not me. I'll, I'll read other people. Do you think you're obsessed? Um, yeah, I'm obsessed with some of the cases that I have looked at and have stayed with me. And maybe the writing of this book was uh, to allow me to put out new information about each of the cases and I will be journalistically I'm obsessed with the breakthrough and the solving of something and I, I've seen that it has happened in two, three, four cold cases and it's a fantastic thing to see for example I haven't written about this case but I've reported on it about the murder of Irene White in Dundalk where two men have now uh admitted their parts in that murder uh, the man who stabbed her to death and the, and the man who describes himself as the middleman uh, who, who uh, also was part of that murder and when you see that happen and I've been in that courtroom and to see somebody plead guilty in such an enormous and horrific case and to know the amount of work that went into that, that moment um, it's I will be obsessed in the sense but wanting to see that that's not over because there I look at that and say well that's two people caught uh, it said that there's another person out there still not brought to justice so I will be obsessed with the third person and that's maybe where there is an obsession in looking at well what else could be done uh, in any of these cases Well Barry Cummins thank you for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find Barry's book Missing in your local bookshop now The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details The handle is at Inside Books IRE and if you want to hear other episodes just search for us on SoundCloud or iTunes and don't forget to leave us a rating or review I'm Brida Brown Until next time keep reading Inside Books is a unique media production 